You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's programme we're going to hear from TV presenter and actor Simon Delaney about his new cookbook, Simply Simon's The Diner Cookbook. Public health and clinical nutritionist Neve Arthurs will be commenting on the recent developments in the world of health and providing us with some healthy ideas for children to enjoy this Halloween. And finally, at the end of the show, Kira Leahy, consumer editor with Irish Country Living, will have details about the Women and Agriculture Conference that takes place in County Carlow next week. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we have a touch of Hollywood glamour. Simon Delaney might be best known for his regular presenting spot on Saturday AM, but he's also strutted the cobbles on Coronation Street and starred in the US hit show The Good Wife. His culinary expertise came to the fore when he took part in TV3's Celebrity Masterchef, and he has put pen to paper and written his first cookbook. I'm delighted he joins us on the line now to talk to us about Simply Simon's The Diner cookbook. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Simon, congratulations on your book, Simply Simon's The Diner Cookbook. Tell us how this all came about. You're very kind. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been a heck of a year. It's taken nine months to put the whole thing together, but finally uh, it arrived. And it's here and it's on the bookshelves. Um, it kind of came around from Kind of off the back of taking part in Celebrity MasterChef last year, um, I had an amazing time on that. Met some great people, met some great chefs, got to cook in some of the best kitchens in the British Isles, and it kind of really reignited and developed my love of cooking even more than I had originally. And then when I finished, I was lucky enough to get all the way to the final, um, and then when I finished, I was approached by a publisher with the idea of doing a cookbook. So I thought about it, and I thought, yeah, why not? And then I had to try and think of what kind of cookbook to do. Um, somebody <laughs> somebody very funnily tweeted me last week and said that I should have done a Chinese cookbook and called it Bachelor's Walk. Oh, very, very good. good. Yes, yes, exactly. Very good. <laughs> very clever. Um, so, yes, yeah, so the diner idea came around from, kind of from, I spent a lot of time in the States working over there, and, and normally you're on your own, so you tend to eat out a lot. And also because you're filming, you tend to be working strange hours. So, you know, you'd be having your breakfast at seven in the evening if you're on a night shoot and vice versa. Then you want your dinner at eight in the morning. So diners would normally be where I would frequent. And that's where I landed with the idea of doing this diner cookbook. And I've kind of, I've laid it out like a diner menu. So there's a breakfast chapter, there's appetizers, there's classic diner sandwiches, deli sandwiches, there's entrees, desserts, there's even a menu for cocktails. Wow, so there's a lot in there. <laughs> 50 recipes, I believe. Like, there's a lot of work in writing down 50 recipes. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what, uh, not surprised me, but just the magnitude of the, of the, the task at hand. I mean, it's taken, mm-hmm. taken the bones of eight months, really. To put the whole book together, because I wrote every word in the book. There's over seventy thousand words in it, and there's a lot of writing in it because I wanted to make it a little bit different, make it a bit funny. I have little funny stories about each dish that's in the book. There's funny food quotes. There's stories from sets around the world involving food with me. And then we had, of course, we had to pick the recipes first. So I called on a good friend of mine, Neil Kearns, who's the executive head chef over at the Castlenock Hotel, and Neil had kind of helped me. He's a pal of mine for a couple of years. He cooks on Saturday AM on TV3 with us. And he kind of helped me through MasterChef. He kind of was my go-to guy when I needed help or advice. So he was a natural choice when it came to writing the book. And he kind of helped me, you know, oversee the book in terms of the food. Like, I would have ideas for certain diner classics that I wanted in the book. And Neil would say, yeah, okay, well, how do we adopt it for the home cook? How do you put an Irish twist on it? So, for example, we have a classic recipe in the book for ribs everybody knows you get great ribs in a diner so we've done a Memphis kind of ribs but we did a Dublin style on it because we braise our beef ribs in Guinness so we've a little Irish twist on, the, on an American classic and then we sat down and I just 
started writing. And as I said, it's taken eight months. Then we had the food photography to do and then the design of the book, which I'm thrilled with. It really is exactly what I had in my head. The the guys at Black and White Publishing did a great job. And it was John Cahill who photographed the book for me. He was amazing. So I'm very proud of it and I hope people enjoy it. And you're getting out and about with it. You're going to different food festivals, for example. Yeah, that's, that's kind of been a real, real eye-opener mm-hmm. for me. And that all came from the nicest man in the business, Mr. Nevin Maguire. God bless him. Um, he he was, apparently, he, he was following me through uh, MasterChef on Twitter. And he was enjoying what I was doing on MasterChef. And then when MasterChef finished, he kind of said, look, do you want to meet up for a cup of tea? And I, I, I met him and a gentleman. And I happened to mention the fact that I was thinking of doing a cookbook. And I told him what kind of cookbook. And he loved it. He loved the ideas of the recipes. And he said, look, you should try and start doing cooking at some of the food festivals. So through Nevin, I was able, this year, then I cooked a taste of Dublin, taste of Cavan, taste of Donegal. I'm going down to Sabre Kilkenny. And that's been a really eye-opener. I met some amazing people around the country, local producers, local suppliers, chefs. And it's a real community vibe about doing those festivals and everyone's there to help you and you know don't worry if you forgot something we'll get it for you and they're all there to help you and, and it was it was great we i brought the kids with me and lisa up to Donegal for a weekend we cooked up there and it's been a real it's been a real eye-opener what's it like then taking to the stage to cook on it because obviously you're well used to presenting and interviewing people and acting so you learn your lines and you know what you have to say and how to position yourself on a stage there's kind of doing... a similarity to it though there really is in terms of the culinary industry and in terms of chefs and because it is theater you know it's entertainment um now obviously i'm out of my depth i'm not a trained chef I, i'm a whole cook so I had to get, you know, shown, you know, in not shortcuts, but just preparation. I mean, we learned that in MasterChef. It was all about the preparation. If you did your prep right, there's no reason why your dish shouldn't be good. Um, so, you know, I got a lot of great advice and tips from some of the lads on the circus, some of the chefs, and saying, look, you don't need to bring two of everything. Bring one of them. Make sure you have that. Just sort of simple stuff. And then in terms of performing, it's kind of... It's, it, it's, this is something theatrical about it in terms of, you know, it has to be entertaining for the people who've paid the money into the festival and who are, who've taken the time out of their day to come down and sit and watch you cook. Um, and then and then you're nervous because you hope you hope they like what you eat. But I remember cooking this Taste of Cabin earlier on this summer, which was an amazing event, 35,000 people. Incredible numbers down there. And uh, I cooked uh, one of the recipes in the book, pulled pork, mac and cheese. I made a beautiful big tray bag of that. And then I cooked a key lime pie. And it was fantastic because when we finished cooking, when we finished the demo, we portioned it out and people just came up to the stage and the editors and just to see the smiles on the face. They loved it. And I was thrilled with that because it was a real kind of thumbs up for the recipe in the book. So I was delighted with that. I, I've, I've loved it. There's nothing more satisfying than whenever you have gone to the time and effort to cook something exactly. for others that they do enjoy it. Exactly, exactly. And I, I you know, I, I'm a feeder. I have four small kids, and you know, I love cooking. I love my grub, and you know, my mum was the same. You know, that's where I got my love of food from. My mum is a very simple cook, nothing extravagant. One pot wonders, good wholesome simple food, and but she loved feeding people, and I think I got that from her. You know, so. Yeah, there is really something very special about putting a plate of food in front of someone that you've taken the time out of your day to cook and prep correctly and they have a big smile on their face. And with four young children, that's always going to be your toughest audience. Well, that's the thing. And look, I'd be a liar if I said, oh, God, yes, my kids eat everything that I make. They don't. I mean, the six of us in the house, myself, Lisa, and the four boys, and, you know, one of the lads doesn't like this, the other one loves it. You know, so you end up, as most parents do, cooking three or four different dinners every day. What I try to do is that myself and Lisa will have the same dinner. We'll have, we'll have our, our, our dinner. And the boys will eat some of them. They'll eat chicken curry or corn or they might have our... We have a beautiful recipe book for Tanya Italia, meatballs. The lads will eat that. You know, there's a homemade pizza recipe in there, which they love doing. But there's great joy in getting them involved in it as well. And that's why I love doing the recipe, the pizza recipe with them, because... They're involved right from the get-go. They make their own, make the dough, they watch it prove, they roll it out, and then they can stand there on a stool and they can put on their own toppings. They make the we make our own pizza sauce. They pop it in the oven, and it's amazing how when they sit down then to eat it, 
it automatically tastes better because they cook it themselves. They have pride in it. So I think I got that. I got that from my mom, and I hope that, particularly for boys, I hope that I pass that on to my boys that they can, that they learn how to cook and be self-sufficient because, you know, it's a great skill to have, obviously, in life. Um, it's very impressive to a woman too that you can cook. You, you know your way around the kitchen, uh, and also that you know you take passion in the and pride in the ingredients and, and cooking it right and placing it. So I hope I pass it on to my boys. Did they watch you whenever you were on Celebrity mm. Master Chef? They did. See, the bizarre thing was that obviously we filmed it, uh, you know, three, four, five months before it was on air. So when I was actually in the process of filming it, um, my my second uh, second born Elliot, uh, he would sort of be standing at the hall or wait for me to come in from the days filming to know had I made it through to the next round. So we got great crack out of me coming in. I pretend to have a sad face. And he'd say, well, how did it go, Dad? And I'd say, well, we had to cook this and we had to cook that. And then the judges came in and they liked this and they didn't like that. And then they lined us up and they said, the person leaving is. <laughs> and he would be hanging on your every word. And I'd say, you know, yeah, Colin had to go. And he goes, so you're still in. You're into the second round, quarterfinal, semi-final. He couldn't believe I made it to the final. God bless them. But uh, yeah, they loved it. They loved the whole process. And then sitting in the course a couple of months later then and, and watching it. And they loved the whole fact that they knew what had happened. And nobody else in their schools did. Because their teachers were saying, how did your dad get on a master chef? And the boys very proudly would say, can't tell you. <laughs> how did they manage to keep it a secret? I have no idea. I'm so proud of them. Yeah, I'm so proud. Not they, not, they didn't tell a soul, which is fantastic. Because I said to them, look, if somebody asks you and you tell them, it's going to spoil the show for them because there's no point watching it then for 10 weeks. And they went, oh, yeah, that's true, actually. Why would you do that? Because then, then they loved the fact of going to school every week. And their mates saying, God, your dad's still in <laughs> So they got, they got a bit of celebrity from it. God bless them. What was the highlight during Celebrity MasterChef for you? Because there was so many fantastic opportunities there. Yeah, but was there, there one were. moment that was a real standout moment um, for you? Do you know what? I, there were, as you said, there were so many. Working, working and watching Daniel Clifford and Robin Gill cook. I mean, these are two two guys at the top of the game. Daniel of course, has recently just held on to his two Michelin stars, and he very kindly has written the forward for my book, which is amazing. Um, watching those boys cook, learning from them, um, and then, you know, doing master classes and patisserie work with Claire Clark, cooking in Charlotte Key in Dublin was amazing. Cooking for the critics was, was incredible. But I suppose the highlight really was the semi final in London, where we got to cook in a Michelin star restaurant with the amazing Andy McFadden, Irish chef who's running that restaurant there. And we went in there, I didn't know what we were to do. And we went in at eight o'clock in the morning, we were to cook a full lunch service for 50 guests, I think it was. So we all got a section each and off we went. And it was the most excruciating day in terms of pressure I mean I, I my hair was hard to me when I came out of it did I read you the touch of a hangover that day well I mean I absolutely could not confirm or deny that <laughs> rumor, but yes we were all hanging we did we, of course we went over the night before I flew over to London and uh, myself Ushin McConville Neve Cavanagh and Colin McGorman we had made the semi-final and uh, some of us went out and uh, took in the sights of West London, let's say, until the wee small hours, not thinking, not knowing what was ahead of us. I think if we'd have known what we were going to be doing at 7 o'clock the following morning, I would have had a soda water and went to bed for 12 hours. But it was a punishing day, but it was amazing. I remember saying at the time that the last time I felt like that was in London, was, was when I performed in the West End in London. I was exhilarated, but exhausted. I was so tired, but what a pose to cook Michelin star food for that chef, for his customers in that restaurant. Amazing. Did you realise before you went into the process how good a cook you were? Did you realise you had all that expertise? <laughs> I, well, I, I know my way around the kitchen and I've, I've been cooking because, you know, we lost our parents when we were very young, as I say in the book. Like, I lost my mom when I was 19 and my dad only my dad passed away seven years after that. So myself, my brother, my two sisters were kind of left on our own. We had to cook, so I've always cooked, you know, I've cooked for 25 years. Um, and particularly then since I met Lisa and, 
you know, we got married and had kids, then it becomes a necessity to cook because you're feeding people, you know, but I've always had a passion for it. I always take pride in it. I love having friends and family over to the house. I love Sundays where my sisters come over, my brother and my nephew. And I love that. I love, I just love having a house full of people and cooking something really special for them. You know, even if it's just, you know, a roast chicken with a ham, cabbage, all the trimmings, you know, but, Try and do the dessert for them as well. Like we don't have three, four courses. We cook really home cooked traditional food, and that's kind of what I try to get across in the book. That this, it's a diner food, but it's American home cooking. There's meatloafs in there. There's New York cheesecakes, comfort food, and I wanted to take the diner experience and bring those dishes into your house. You love food programs yourself. So even before Celebrity Masterchef, <clears throat> and, and I would imagine you have an extensive library of cookbooks yourself at home. I'm tripping over them. Truth be known, I'm tripping over them. Um, I love my cookbooks and I love food, the food channels. It's all I watch. Well, anybody who knows me at all or spends any time in our house will always know what room I'm in because the Food Network will be on our good food. Rick Stein, Jamie Oliver, Anthony Bourdain, I love them all. Um, and I'm fascinated with the whole uh, diner vibe with Diners, Tyrants and Dives. you got to eat here with John Cattucci. Amazing. I'm, I, I've i been in love with the diner since the mid-90s, since, from movies, from my favourite Woody Allen movie, Broadway Danny Rose, that opening scene of the diner. I just love the culture of the diner, the different types of people who are in there. I love spending time in there on my own and people watching it. And, and as I say in the book, I've written all this in the introduction that, you know, I've been in diners in New York and Dallas and Los Angeles and the clientele are so different. The conversations are different, but the food is the same. The food is so good. And there are, there are certain dishes that are the diner classics that are on menus right across the States. Um, but yeah, the food, Net- food Network and Good Food Channel, they are my downfall, I'm afraid. So could a TV programme be next? Well, who knows? Yeah, who knows? I'd love to, God, listen, to some, somebody pay it to go around the country and eat. Oh, well, I'd sign up for that now in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, you never know. I mean, look, you know, I've looked at the idea of doing maybe a YouTube channel and doing the diner food on that. And there's lots of plans in place, let's say, about, you know, in terms of food. As I say in the book, in the words of Karen Carpenter, we've only just begun. Absolutely. Well, it's fantastic <laughs> that you're getting out and about around the country and showcasing your recipes and your expertise. And you're going to be at Saver Kilkenny on Saturday. I am indeed. Th- that's Saturday the 20th of October. And then in November, Thursday the 9th of November, you're in Listowel with the lovely Lizzie Lyons. Ah, uh, with the lovely Lizzie, who we adore seeing uh, coming into our kitchen on Saturday and Sunday am up on TV3 because... We know we're going to get some of the best sausage rolls in the country. They are fantastic sausage rolls. They are. They should be given out on prescription, I think, because they're that good. They just bring a smile to your face. Lizzie is a sweetheart, and I'm thrilled that I'm going to be down cooking alongside her. No pressure there, Simon. But I'm going to be cooking alongside her down in the stove, and as you say, down at the county as well. And I'll be doing signings in various bookshops and easons in Kilkenny and Listowel around those events as well. So if anybody wants, just wants to keep an eye on uh, um, at Simply Simons TV on Twitter, all the details of where I'll be. I'll be going north, south, east and west, signing books and cooking for people. And I'm, I'm dying for people to get their hands of the book and let me know what they think. Whenever you're in Listowel, you're actually cooking for the Rose of Tralee, Jennifer Byrne and the nutritionist <laughs> from the Kerry team, Kevin Beasley. I don't know, is that breaking news? <laughs> Were you aware uh, of that? That's fantastic. I, that, well, I, I hope they... Uh, I, I hope they, if they get an advanced copy of the book, get to pick their favourite recipes and I'd be happy to cook for them. Oh, brilliant. That's a great idea. And Lizzie's going to then showcase a couple of your recipes in her cafe in Listowel over the oh, course of the weekend as well. So I'm looking forward to it. I have lots of friends and family down in Kerry. I can't wait to get down there. You'll have to give her a few tips now whenever <laughs> <laughs> she's planning those. <laughs> and last month, or this month, the October issue of Easy Food magazine, you're the guest editor of that. So there's a few of your yeah. recipes in there as yeah. well. It's great. They featured a load of the recipes, which is great. Caroline, again, cooks with us at the weekends on the TV. She uh, she gave me a great opportunity to be guest editor, which was great fun. Spent the day out there with them. We were in the test kitchen messing around. 
I kind of mess around wherever I go, as you probably gathered, but uh, they've been great and they showcase a few of the recipes in the magazine. So you're flat out with your Saturday and Sunday AM, with your cooking, doing your book signings, going to the food festivals. What else is in the pipeline for you now in the next 12 well, months? Well, I mean, that's, that's the gas thing, because at the end of the day, you know, I'm an actor by heart. I've, I've, I've finished I've done two movies this year, one with... Um, one that I shot over in Connemara with Stephen Dorff, uh, kind of a psychological thriller that's out next summer called Don't Let Go. And then I just wrapped on the Damo and Ivor movie. People will be familiar with the Damo and Ivor TV series on RTE. Uh, so they've just made a feature film of that. I just finished wrapping that. That'll be out of Patrick's weekend next year. Um, and then I'm presenting a new documentary series for RTE 1. Uh, just before Christmas, and then a documentary series for TV3 after Christmas. I'm directing The Panto on the Olympia, starring Al Porter, Polly and the Beanstalk, and I'm presenting the Christmas show in the concert hall where we're going to be performing The Snowman. Holy moly. And you still have, you still have time to go home to your lovely wife, your four children, exactly. and cook for them. That's the best part of the day. You're an incredible man, Simon. <laughs> you really are. I could do with one of you in my house, I tell you. <laughs> It's been fantastic to talk to you. Thanks so much for telling us all about the cookbook. It's Simply Simon's The Diner Cookbook. I look forward to seeing you in Listowel, if not before. So enjoy the rest of the week. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk about the book. I appreciate that. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, the multi-talented actor, TV presenter and panto director, husband to one, dad to four and cook to six, to list just a few of his credentials. Simon Delaney was talking to us about his cookbook, Simply Simon's The Diner Cookbook. And if you'd like to see Simon showcase his culinary skills, be sure to get your ticket for the opening night of this year's Listowel Food Fair. That's Thursday, the 9th of November in the Listowel Arms Hotel and Simon will be on stage with local Flowgas ambassador Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen who has a regular slot on TV3's Sunday AM and the duo will be cooking for the 2017 Rose of Tralee, Jennifer Byrne and the Kerry team nutritionist Kevin Beasley. Check out the Listowel Food Fair Facebook page for details and to book tickets and I think there are 15 euros and the raffle on the night is an aid of Nano Nagel. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And now it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, we'll be hearing from Kira Leahy about next week's 2017 Women and Agriculture Conference that's on in County Carlow and it's celebrating its 10th year. But before that, the recent budget has taken steps to have a positive impact on the long-term health of the nation. On the phone now, we have public health and clinical nutritionist Neve Arthurs to get her view on the potential effects of the new taxes. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Neve, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. And in your role as a public health and clinical nutritionist, you have had a busy couple of weeks. Hi, Sharon, and hi to everyone listening. Thanks so much for having me on again. Yes, certainly. It's been a very, very few busy weeks. But busy is good, especially in the world of public health. If you're out teaching and educating and helping others, then that's always, always a positive the past week alone, we've had World Mental Health Week, we've had um, World Obesity Day, and then, of course, with the budget 2018, we had the introduction of the sugar tax or mention of the sugar tax. So they all kind of go hand in hand with, as I said, public health, but also very, very um, intriguing well, let's start with the sugar tax first, because this is something that the government has been talking about introducing for a long time. And in your view, as a public health and clinical nutritionist, what's the impact in society in general? Well, obviously, the hope is that it will reduce. And even even the fact of introducing a sugar tax on these kind of drinks, hopefully raise some awareness for people 
to think about, to think more about how much sugar is actually in the drinks. There is some estimation that five to twelve year olds in Ireland get about seventy to eighty calories from fizzy drinks per day, and this is a huge amount of sugar. And particularly with fizzy drinks, the sugar is instantly absorbed into the bloodstream, and it's free sugars that's flowing around the teeth. So for even from the dental hygiene perspective really really not good so the hope is that this sugar tax as i said will reduce the consumption on a daily basis of how much fizzy drinks we are consuming in ireland um, and also as i said raise the awareness because some people don't even realize how much sugar is in these drinks and i mean there's the obvious coca-cola which has about 10.6 grams of sugar in every 100 ml so this is going to be taxed at the higher rate of 30 cent which means that a can of Coke that might cost you now a euro will cost you about one euro ten cent. And we're not we're not sure yet whether the drink companies themselves will just bear the brunt of this tax or if they will put start charging extra on the consumer. So it's up to the drink companies themselves. They're the ones who will be ta- who will be taxed. And as I said, either they can bear the brunt or put the price onto their onto their uh, products. I think what you're saying really then is there's a lot of education has to need to take there's a lot of education has to take place for people to become more aware of the quantities of sugars that are in things. It's something that you actually would do whenever you're doing workshops is to bring the bags of sugar to show and illustrate so people can can really experience with their own eyes how much sugar is in a simple can of fizzy drink. That's it. And actually, recently I was in a secondary school doing um, a session about, you know, the raising awareness how much sugar is in our everyday and doing making healthier snacks with them. And I showed them, I got some sp- um, some sparkling water. I added 16 teaspoons of sugar into it and then a little bit of orange food coloring. And I asked them would they drink it. And most of them were like, no, ew, get away from me. But then I said, that's exactly what Lucozade basically is. 16 teaspoons approximately of sugar in a bottle of Lucozade. And that's why we use Lucozade to actually treat hypoglycemia in in an individual with diabetes. If their blood sugars go too low, because Lucozade is such instant glucose, instant sugar, to bring their blood sugar levels back up, we would actually use it to treat, I said, the hypoglycemia. And of course, if you aren't being careful about your sugar intake, the effects that it can have on your health and creating something like diabetes is fairly serious. Yes, definitely. And with an increase in obesity, we're also seeing an, a huge increase in type 2 diabetes. So like the statistics at the moment are that more children and teenagers will be obese than underweight by 2022, which is just huge. In this day and age, when there is so much food around us our food environment has changed therefore our lifestyle and eating habits have changed it's becoming so common to have treats and sweets daily about 40 percent of parents will give their children sweets on a daily basis and really treats are meant to be treats not a daily thing so i think it comes down to going back to education and education from the home but then also the really huge importance of education in schools. So doing having a healthy eating policy in schools, both primary and secondary, and then maybe doing programs such as the Food Dudes, the Incredible Edibles, or Super Troopers, which is the one that I'm involved with in primary schools. And it's really, really important to try and bring, get this whole school approach, this the home approach as well. I mean, the amount of time cooking meals at home is halved in the past 20 years. And on the Best Possible Taste podcast, you know yourselves how delicious and nutritious food can be when it comes from locally sourced produce, really good ingredients and just those nice cooking, cooking, cooking at home. Well, obviously, Halloween is coming up now and that's going to pose a huge challenge whenever it comes to children and treats because it's trick or treat time. And if you I have been known to hand out the apples at the front door to not very happy faces yeah but not to very happy faces but I kind of feel that yeah sure you know have a nice apple and off you go um not something I'd, I'd find so easy to get away with now that I have a couple of children of my own do you have any advice or tips whenever it comes to making treats this Halloween that the children are going to enjoy and they're going to be happy with but that aren't laden with sugar or bad ingredients yeah, well, I suppose when it comes to 
Halloween and even events around Halloween, like with the children will be off for midterm. So they'll have lots of different things to do. And it's important not to not to spoil the fun, but then don't spoil with treats either. So I suppose on the day itself of trick-or-treating, you know, they might be trick-or-treating when it's dark or cold, starting to get a nippy outside. Make sure that you fuel them up, fuel them, fill them up so that they don't fill out with junk later on. So perhaps doing something like a nice um, soup, a stew, a casserole, something really warm and as I said, nice and filling. And then it's important to allow some treats because you don't want to give children the impression that sweets are precious. It's like, you know, saying, uh, don't touch that red button. All all the child would want to do is touch that red button. Or for example, in, in Father Ted, I was watching an episode recently when Dougal was learning how to rollerblade and Ted took the rollerblades from Dougal and all he could think about was rollerblading. So it's just, as I said, about allowing some, but making sure that you're emphasizing that they are treats, have a few and then put the bag away and put the rest of them away for another time, maybe allowing a treat one a day and then again they know they can have it but they're not they know that it's it's not all the time that they could they're not going to overindulge perhaps as you as you do sharon with a bit of apple and you're remembered for it maybe giving out other things um satsumas little bags of popcorn you can get um healthier alternatives in the supermarkets now for treats such as naked bars which have no added sugar or there's pure fruit bars there's the bear the pure um fruit bear little uh roll-ups even good for you have little super seed snacks, seeds and nuts, all really, really, really good. Dried fruits. These are really good um, things to base on. I've actually a, a few recipes on my website and on my Be A Bites Facebook page that have a really good um, fun ideas for Halloween. So maybe doing spooky eye cupcakes or ghoulie ghosts, which is just strawberries coated in some white chocolate. And they're getting the best of both worlds then. They're getting some fruit, some vegetables, but they're also getting the nice, the niceness as well, if you like. And perhaps not always focusing on the sweets and the treats, maybe giving out something educational that they can use in school, like cool, funky pencils or coloring pencils, rubbers, bouncy balls, frisbees, skipping ropes even chalk. Yeah, so the treat doesn't have to be something that they eat at the end of the day. It could be a non-food treat. And I know from living in a in an estate where you get a lot of children at the door, like they are laden down with stuff, laden down with stuff. Absolutely. And it only takes, you know, maybe someone different to start doing something that children remember. Oh, remember that house they gave us a skipping rope or they made us something. They gave us that bag with the homemade cool looking buns or whatever it might be or even my mom always used to make popcorn fresh popcorn on the on this on the hob so it's getting back to those kind of things and even with uh something like popcorn you can make a trail mix so add nuts and dried fruits to it as well the cupcakes that you make what ingredients are you using in those do you use an, an alternative to sugar so what i actually do is i use beetroot um, I wow. use beetroot to give it that red blood, red bloody kind of color. And then I'm using dates to give the sweetness. Dates are actually very, very nutritious. They're quite high in iron. Um, and really, really, they when you blitz up dates into like a kind of a syrup, they, they're like caramel. They're like a really, really delicious alternative to a normal caramel. Fantastic. I must give that a try and let you know how I get on the next time I'm talking to you. In the meantime, all the details are on your website, beabites.net. Some great recipes there need for people to have a look at and maybe try out. And certainly if any of the listeners do give it a go, we'd love to hear back from them. They can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or maybe post a comment on your Facebook page with some images because we'd love to see how they get on. Super. I would love to see people out there trying them. I've tried them with my little niece and nephews and they loved them. And I have a few other ideas as well of even of meals, your main meals to make them into ghosts or, you know, something like meatballs. And you can do fun, really fun ideas with that. So as I said, there are all the ideas and there's pictures on my Be Bites Facebook page. And I think that's great advice about them having some soup or a stew or something before they go out that they might not be inclined just to gorge themselves on the on the, the sweets that they get then. So another one that I'll have to take on board. Great to talk to you as always, Neve, and um, we'll catch up again next month. Super. Thanks so much, Sharon, and happy, healthy Halloween, everybody. 
You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, we were talking to Neve Arthurs, public health and clinical nutritionist, about the recent budget and some healthy treat ideas for Halloween were shared there as well. So thanks to Neve for that. And earlier in the programme, actor and TV presenter Simon Delaney was telling us about his cookbook, Simply Simon's The Diner Cookbook. If you are just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on Sharon Noon com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and now it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now time for the final interview of this evening. Next week the 2017 Women and Agriculture Conference is being brought to you by FBD Insurance and Sherry Fitzgerald and it's on Wednesday the 25th of October and Thursday the 26th of October in the Mount Wolseley Hotel, Spa and Golf Resort in Tullow, County Carlow. The conference event will celebrate its 10th birthday this year with a fantastic lineup of speakers and entertainment over the two days. To tell us about it in detail, we have Kira Leahy, consumer editor of Irish Country Living, on the line. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Kira, you're very welcome to the programme this evening and you're going to tell us about the Women and Agriculture Conference that's taking place next week in Carlo. Yeah, Sharon, thanks so much for having me on. Um, yeah, our Women and Agriculture Conference is having a big birthday this year. We are 10 years um, I suppose it is a great celebration because, you know, Sharon, when we started the whole idea of women in agriculture, um, my editor, Mary Lavery, was there at the very start um, with the idea. It was basically just a day for women to come together that are involved in farming, that are involved in agriculture, as well to network, to make contact and to listen to some speakers that are going to benefit their their day, their year. Um, and I suppose it kind of started with a small idea. Um, it has grown substantially in 10 years. We have gone across the country. We have sold out every single year, and this year is not going to be any different. Um, 650 women all arrive into one hotel um, for the day. And, I mean, we really, really try to make an agenda that is informative, that's educational, that's entertaining and that's inspiring so that people leave and people have left on such a high. Um, it really is a great event to work on even because it's so great to work on something that people leave just so kind of happy and reinvigorated. Well, you have a number of speakers throughout the day and you've one particular keynote speaker and the reason that you've brought her back is because of what people have said about her in the past. Absolutely. Um, we have the broadcaster and psychologist Maureen Gaffney as our keynote speaker. When she spoke a few years ago, it was all about how to deal with adversity. When something bad happens in your life, how you can um, power through and how you can actually not just survive it, but come out the other end stronger person ready to take on life and and this year I know she's going to be talking about succession planning which is a big issue um, for people on in, in farming f- families about what the plan is for their farm and for the future and how to deal with that in regards to the family dynamics and it's very interesting that she's approaching this um, topic because it is going to build on what some of our other speakers are going to be talking about at the conference and that's Sean Bushell and Claire O'Keefe now Sean Bushell's succession plan from Wales and Claire O'Keefe is from Succession Ireland and the two of them together are going to do a presentation about how you actually approach that subject of succession planning and um, it's something that people don't want to talk about they don't want to talk about what's going to happen to the firm so how you actually go about making a plan how you sit down as a family and talk about what um, everybody wants and it's not just about what the parents want and maybe what the person that um, is going to be handed the farm wants. It's for everybody in the family um, to be able to air their um, opinions. I mean, it's not a case of somebody like another, you know, um, son or daughter saying, I want the farm. Maybe they are quite happy for the farm to be handed over to somebody else, to another brother and sister. But it is their family home and to get their opinions on, you know, what they want in the future so that everybody knows communication is key and everybody knows and um, where they stand. So that is, uh, I suppose, Shannon and Claire are going to be approaching that 
that subject earlier in the day, and then morning will build on, um, you know, how to deal with the family dynamics. Yeah, I think that's a, a very important point there about in a number of farming families, it's quite obvious who is going to take the farm on. But that conversation yeah. still needs to take place because maybe somebody would like a site to build a house or maybe somebody has an idea for a new product that could add value to the to the farm. So the communication side of it is something that's uh, hugely important. Absolutely, Sean. And you know what Sean was saying to me when we were preparing for this conference, it might even be a case of um, you know, someone saying, oh, well, this person's getting a farm worth two million or land worth two million. It's only worth two million if it's sold, um, you know, and and it might never be on the plan for it to be sold. Um, and, and somebody might be coming back to the farm from another job or something and taking a hit on income in order to make the farm profitable. And it's important for everybody to see that, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And the financial side of farming is something that isn't maybe discussed enough. And pension planning is another issue that you're going to address at the conference next week. Yeah, absolutely. So we are have um, a very practical um, session called Pushing Money in Your Pocket. And um, it's going to be chaired by our um, money mentor, Peter Young, um, who, is writing, who writes in the Farmer's Journal. And we are going to have um, Dermot Good, um, who is going to be speaking about health insurance. Um, and uh, I've interviewed Dermot a lot um, over the last few years. And it's very, very practical that, you know, looking at the plan that you have in place, you actually, if you're on an old outdated plan that you haven't updated in 10 years, you could actually spend 100 euros less on a plan, but upgrade your benefits. If you're on one of these old outdated plans, then you're actually losing money. So he's going to be looking at what you can do to save money, but also improve your benefits at the same time. We're also going to have um, Noli, um, who is um, who's going to talk about social welfare entitlements, and really put on the table, did you know that you can you know, apply for this. Did you know that if you're living on a, on your own, that um, you could benefit? That these are the benefits available to you. And then we're also going to be looking at pension planning and you know how much you need when you decide to retire and what you can do to increase your uh, voluntary contributions between now and then. Basically, looking at a finite period, you know, maybe five, ten years, what you can do to increase your pension over that time. So it's going to be really good practical advice for people. So bring a pen and paper. <laughs> unfortunately these are things that we don't tend to think about when we're when we're in our 20s and our 30s and then our 40s we do start to think about them but sometimes we, we need to be spurred into action to do something about them yeah and even if you are in your 40s and 50s and you're thinking right i really need to get this under control the whole area can be quite confusing so it's about simplifying to any information in very short succinct points I mentioned there about somebody in the family might want to add value to the business by introducing a food product, for example, to it. And mm-hmm. you have three very inspirational women speakers who are involved in the food and the hospitality industry. Yeah, and um, we basically about two or three years ago, Sharon, we started this kind of on the couch session where instead of a speaker just getting up and speaking to the crowd, we kind of conducted more of kind of a relaxed chat between people and I kind of got the idea at the web summit a few years ago but it's worked out really really good um, and it really leads to like you know very natural flow of conversation and this is what one of our on the couch sessions is called building a business through, through adversity and we have three speakers that are going to get up on that couch and talk about their personal experience and I think fair play to them before they even get up on stage fair play to them because they're talking about stuff that you know was very hard to get through one of our speakers is Sally Ann Clark and um, that many might know and um, many might will, will know she's co-owner of the Crevian restaurant in Dublin with her husband Derry Clark that many people will know um, from the television um, and unfortunately a few years ago they had a very um, a death in their family when their son Andrew died and obviously it hit the family very hard and it's been you know a terrible thing for them to cope with and at the same time they're running this Michelin star restaurant um, so Sally's going to talk about you know how they dealt with that time how they coped and how they kept their their business their livelihood going during that time and also I know it's a 
the, the subject very close to her heart that they got a lot uh, involved a lot in a lot of charity work on the back of it um, and that's going to be something she's going to be talking about as well um, Siobhan Lawless is also another lady that's going to be speaking on the couch and I interviewed Siobhan um, a good few years ago basically they ran a dairy farm um, in the 80s and um, Siobhan started kind of you know um, a, a bit of a, an on-farm business baking just to get a bit more income into the family and they set up the Foods of Athen Rye which is um, you know a really great and um, gorgeous brand of baked goods um, and you know, that was grand. I did an interview with her and she came up to me about a year later and said, oh, Kira, do you want to come do an interview with us again? And I said, Siobhan, you know, it's, it's only been a year. Like, you know, what's, what's going to be that much different or whatever? And she was like, well, the bakery burned to the ground one day. And I said, oh, my God. Basically, they went away, they set up the bakery and added a whole new section of it to go into the gluten-free market. And it was the morning after Paul's 50th birthday party. They were having breakfast um, in the house and they heard a massive bang and they thought there was a crash. They thought it was thunder or something like that. Looked out, the whole bakery was up in flames. They had to be taken off the shelves. You know, how do you recover from that? But they have and they've come back stronger and she's going to be talking about their journey through that. And then the other person on the couch is Mary Breen. And Mary back in the 90s with one of the families, um, herself and her husband were farming um, and they were one of the first families to be um, affected by the BSE crisis. And I suppose it's, you know, literally one day they looked at one of the, the cows on the farm, thought it was acting a bit strange, Was the diagnosis came within a week or so and within a few months their whole herd was gone. And again, it's about starting from scratch. And, you know, being one of the first people to actually get up and speak out about this crisis, they actually went away and started a group to help people, um, to help farmers that are dealing with it. And for them to not be ashamed, you know, it's not it's not a reflection of the business. It was something that happened. Um, so she's going to be talking about how they literally started from scratch again. So I think it's going to be a very, very powerful session um, you know, with three very honest women talking about um, building their businesses through three very different scenarios. I love that whole Terry Wogan chat show type vibe at, at events whenever you can get a real yeah. conversation flowing with different people talking about, you know, there's always similar threads there, but they all have different oh, stories to tell. Absolutely. And you actually find that they start, you know, laughing on stage, it brings the audience to laugh. And then and then when the times are hard, there's maybe a support system on stage as well. So, um, yeah, we, we, we've, we've grown with that on the couch session over the last few years. Now, you also have injected a little bit of liveliness, I'm reading here, into the, the conference. Tell us about the two brothers that are going to be there. Oh, well, look at, you know, after doing this conference for a good few years, Sharon, you know, we, we give our ladies a gorgeous um, sit-down, two-course meal, you know, like a lovely a lovely lunch and a dessert. And and you come back, the afternoon can be long enough, especially when you've had a lovely meal. So I've kind of noticed that around, you know, quarter past four in the day, people are, you know, trying to just, the room is a bit warm and get, kind of maybe getting a bit tired. So I said, right, let's, are, you know, let's pick things up a bit. So we're going to take a. Sh- we're going to um, bring two men on stage. We have got Rob and Dave Kearney, and they're going to, you know, spice things up, get us a bit active, get us up off our seats. But also, um, they're going to be talking briefly about um, their work with um, the National Dairy Council in regards to promoting milk um, as a, a recovery drink, and obviously as well um, for for women and women that may be. Um, in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, osteoporosis is, uh, can be a concern as well. So basically, they're going to be talking about um, the benefits of dairy, but they're also going to get things a bit active as well. Well, if anybody could encourage a 40-year-old like myself to drink more dairy, um, it would be Rob <laughs> and Dave Garney, that's for yeah, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's all taking place on the Thursday of the conference, but the night before you have a lovely gala dinner taking place with a couple of different people at it that will be of interest to people if they want to make the trip to, to Carlo and spend the night there. 
Absolutely, Sharon. See, I, I suppose it's kind of this, this whole gala dinner grew organically. You know, our conference started as a day-long event. Then we found that people were coming the night before or staying the night of the conference, you know, to catch up with people and, you know, have a bit of fun themselves and were coming with friends and sisters and mothers. And, you know, we found the night before we were preparing for the conference, but there was a lot of people sitting down having a nice meal. And But they could be like sitting in one restaurant and or in a bar or something. We said, right, let's bring them all together a few years ago and we created our gala dinner. Um, and it's something that we said, sure, we'll give it a go. And it's just gone from strength to strength. Um, so this year we're going to have um, Nelson McGuire doing a cookery demonstration before the meal just to get the taste bloods buds flowing um, and then we're going to sit down and have a gorgeous uh, four course dinner for our guests and then we're going to end the evening with Oliver Callan um, who the comedian Oliver Callan who is absolutely fantastic sorry I say end the evening we're going to finish the dinner with Oliver Callan who's like a brilliant comedian we had him a few years ago he had everybody falling off their seats laughing we expect no difference this year and then we're going to have a band to get everybody up dancing and literally we kick off the whole conference with a great gala dinner night um, that gets everybody like really in the mood um, for the conference the next day. It sounds absolutely fabulous. You must tell us now, Kira, before you go, what's your personal highlight? What are you looking forward to most? Um, it's Rob and okay, Dave Kearney, okay. isn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose, um, what do I look forward to most? Um, I suppose working um, from it is actually not one speaker or anything like that. It's actually kind of around the end of the day when the, the conference is finished. So it's a huge relief that it's all gone to, to plan. But I look out in the crowd and there's 650 women that are up and they're dancing and they're smiling and they're laughing. And there's such an amazing atmosphere in the room. And it, it never every year it seems to be there. And I think that is my real highlight, that it's just like kind of you know, that our team, that we put this together, that we have these women that come back every year. They're like family to us now, that they come up to us and it's like a family wedding we do every year and it's that kind of feeling of, well, we did it again um, and it, there's always that one moment that happens at some stage during the day. I never know when it happens, but I'm just like, wow, it's this, this conference is really special. So it's not about one speaker, it's about that one moment that I'm really looking forward to. Well, congratulations on 10 years. That's a major achievement in itself because I know from personal experience that there's a lot of time and effort and hard work and a few tears and maybe the odd raised voice that goes into creating <laughs> a conference like this. So enjoy it. I know you're going to, uh, as will all of your 650 delegates. And uh, we look forward to hearing about it next year whenever the 11th one comes around. Thanks so much, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And thanks again to Kira Leahy, consumer editor with Irish Country Living, for telling us about the 2017 Women and Agriculture Conference. A superb lineup of speakers and entertainment there. And thanks to tonight's other guests, Simon Delaney and Neve Arthurs. We're at the end of the show, so thank you for tuning in and listening. Next week, we'll be talking to some of the people whose products have been recognised at this year's Listowel Food Fair Best Emerging Artisan Food Product Competition. So until then, enjoy the rest of the week and bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.